0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller.
1: Today we're going to be reading from Malachi 1, verses 6 through 14, so please stand as we read through God's Word. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? by offering polluted food upon my altar, but you saying, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great, great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And pure offerings for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say to the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the... Be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations.
0: So that's an encouraging passage, isn't it? Well, my hope is that you will be encouraged by the end of this, uh, by the end of our time together. Have you ever invited somebody to a church service or asked if if maybe a, uh, your friend or whoever you know, attends a church somewhere and have heard their reply, and their reply was something to the effect of, I will never go to church. Church is full of a bunch of what hypocrites. You've heard that before, right? Yeah, I, I've always bristled at that. I've always bristled at that. I, not because I'm a pastor and I want Sunday mornings to be filled with, with, with people, but I, I bristle at that because I know my own heart. And uh, preaching on a passage like this as a pastor, I, I know my own heart and if if listening to Malachi chapter one verses six through fourteen makes you feel right now a little uncomfortable i 'm with, <laughs> with you i 'm with you I feel it. Uh, I feel the the weight of this passage and so uh, there's so much here, and uh, i believe I believe that these verses are put here for not just for our, in, our instruction, but also for our encouragement. And so um, what I'd like for you to do is, because I, w- I really want you to see the passage. I want you to see the text in your own Bible or if you have a digital device, a di- you know, whatever digital device you use to, to read the Bible on. Or uh, there's, a, there's a Bible underneath one of the seats around you. It'd be good for you to, ha- to grab one of those Malachi is kind of almost like it's just past the center of of the Bible, and it's right before the Gospel of Matthew. So it's it's the last book in the Old Testament, um, just before the first book in the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Matthew. And so I, I want you to see these things. And by the way, uh, just 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 to share with you, as we were singing these songs, uh, one just kudos to the worship team because again we had to pull kind of an audible a little bit just. Be, just because Thomas was sick, and they did a great job. But what I am so encouraged about is that you're all singing. Like, you can hear, like, I can hear your voices, and uh, that, that's so encouraging. You, you know what the other encouraging thing is? Is uh, that here at are you're, you're in the Scriptures, and so I just want you to see some things. But before we get into Malachi, uh, there... There, there are a few things that you should understand. and If you receive the e-letter, how many of you get the e-letter? Okay, m- most of you. If you don't get the e-letter, you should have gotten one of these on your way in if you're visiting with us or if you've been coming for a little bit. Uh, just put your email on here and say, hey, I would like the e-letter. Uh, you could, I think you could, yeah, you can actually check that off here. Tear it off and put it in the box on your way out because... I send out an e-letter. It's kind of like a, a, a devotional to get you thinking about things in preparation for, for Sunday. And so uh, be sure you do that. But in the e-letter, I talked about this. I'm going to just reiterate what I shared in the e-letter. And that is there were three uh, categories of, of sacrifices in Israel's worship. Now, uh, included in their worship, which it, we, you should understand, is that a lot of the stuff that they did, we still do today. Like they sang songs together. They they would uh, they would have individuals speak the, the, the scriptures and teach on the scriptures into their into their lives. You had prophets and yet other people who would open up uh, the the word of God so to speak before the people. Uh, so a lot of what we do today they did uh, you know in Malachi's day. But uh, what we don't do is we don't have a sacrificial system. The sacrificial system pointed to Jesus Christ, but but what, But the things that included that were included in the sacrificial system is that there were sin offerings. And the sin offerings ultimately pointed to Jesus, but uh, when pr- they were a form of worship, you would bring your, your, an animal that needed to be without defect. Now, depending on your income would depend on what you could afford. A bull was the most expensive form of, of uh, offering, as, as little to like a pigeon. Um, so... You would have that and the shedding of blood through the sacrifice of an animal without defect Would be used for the atonement of one's sins and then this would happen throughout the year You had several special days of the year like the Day of Atonement So there's that then there is the thank offering this was a type of sacrifice that acknowledged the goodness of God in one's life and um, And so we had the thank offering It could come in all kinds of forms, shapes, and sizes. And then you had the tithe offering. It's a third type of sacrifice given in the Old Testament. And um, that would come in different forms as well. It was basically you were giving back a portion to God as as, as a way of acknowledging all that I have, God, is given to me by you. It all belongs to you. I woke up this morning because you are the God of the living. You, you've allowed me to get up this morning. I have a bank account because of you, Lord. I, you know, all those things. They had like animals. That would be like one of their ways of, uh, that would be a, a source of income uh, for them. And they would offer that. So those were the three. And then you had the priests. And, it, and so what Malachi is doing here, or what God is doing here in Malachi in these, verse, in these verses, is he's rebuking the priests. Now, just so you know, that doesn't mean we're off the hook, <laughs> because in the New Testament, guess who are the priests? Not Keith Miller. We collectively, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the priesthood of Christ. That's what we're called. Uh, you can see that in, uh, in First Peter um, chapter 1 and 2. Uh, it's all over the Bible. We are considered the priests. So, But he's rebuking the priests in these verses. And one of the things that was required of the priests is this, and I, I'll have... There's going to be a lot of Scripture passages that will be on the screen that you'll be able to see. One of them is Leviticus uh, chapter 22, and that is, uh, this is what it says. So they, speaking of the priests, shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctifies you, am holy. Meaning, the priests need to be holy. And whenever they serve the Lord, they need to, to consider... Uh, what is being offered in light of the holiness of God. Uh, later on in Leviticus chapter 22, and this will make the rest of the passage make sense. Speak to Aaron and his sons, Aaron was kind of the first you know, priest, and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord if it is to be accepted for you it shall be a male without what blemish meaning without defect of of the bulls or the sheep or the goats you shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will be for it will not be acceptable For you. Well, what's a blemish? Uh, An animal that's lame, it's blind, it's like all messed up, like half its hair is missing, you know, it's it's all stressed, Um, walks with a limp, Uh, (laughs) it's got a patch on it. Like, you think, you know, think of your pet (laughs) Um, and everything that you've done to make sure that pet lives as long as it can live. How many of you have a dog that's like lived beyond like 10 years? Right? Like, what's the dog doing now? Is the dog still alive? If the dog's still alive, is he running in the backyard like he used to? No. Like so, so these animals were to be without the fact. They were to be the best of the, all the animals that you owned. And so that's the point. And, and the other thing that we need to understand before we dive into verse 6 here is that God took the worship of himself very seriously. He still does today. When Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire, we don't know what it was, but they, they basically said, well, we don't ha- we're not going to use what God required for the offering in terms of lighting the fire, we're, we're going to use something else, uh, they died. When Uzzah touched the ark, and you, know, you can read about this in 1 Chronicles 13, by the way, all this is in my manuscript, so um, you don't have to write down a bunch of notes, uh, when he touched the ark of, that God commanded that no one was to touch, there was a certain way that you were to carry the ark. He touched it because the ark looked like it was going to fall. Um, the way it was being transported wasn't right, and, uh, and so it looked like it was going to fall. And Uzzah made the mistake that believing that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. And so he put his hand on the ark and he died. Uh, there are examples all throughout the scriptures. I mean, we, in, in my introduction to Malachi, I kind of shared with you how, how uh, Israel you know, wound up being divided into two nations, like a north and a south, and, and then how the north went into exile, and then the south went into exile, and, and uh, all of that is because they did not take the holiness of God seriously. And if there was ever a scripture passage in the Bible that serves as a warning to how we ought to approach Almighty God, this is one of those passages in the Bible. It should make us feel a little uncomfortable. Um, he begins, you know, like just to kind of r- refresh your memory a little bit. Like when you open up to Malachi and you read the very first two verses, in the second verse, God says, "I loved you." And um, Israel's response to that is, well, how have you loved us? Yeah, you know, I, I shared this when I preached to this the first time. Like if you're, if you're leaving the house and you tell your spouse I love you and she doesn't answer, you know something's wrong. If you leave the house and you tell your spouse, you say to your spouse I love you and then your spouse responds, well, how have you loved me? You're, you're in trouble, right? So, so it's... That's what's going on here. But their, their complaint was unfounded. And so God said, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. We would revisit the sermon if you haven't listened to it yet. It's online. Um, and, and so he says, I... I I love you, and I demonstrated my love for you throughout your history. Through your faithlessness, I have, I have been with you. Even in the exile, when I was disciplining you, I was there. I did not abandon you. And at the end of, of, of that first paragraph in Malachi, in verse 5, he even reiterates, this, you're, you're, you're uh, you know, being beat up in the exile and being disciplined and all that stuff. That's not the end of your story, Israel, the end of your story is verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Meaning, that promise I made to Abraham, that promise I made to, to Isaac, that promise I made to Jacob, who I later na- renamed Israel, um, it, it's going to happen. I'm going to see to it, And it, 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 in spite of your faithlessness, in spite of your jacked-up worship, uh, and the jacked-up worship of your, priestly, of your priests, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm committed to my people. And so that promise to Abraham that through your seed, I'm, I'm going to multiply you, you're going to be a great nation, but through your seed, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. It was, it was never about Israel. It was always about the nations. From, from, just read from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's about the nations and the glory of God and God's ability to redeem the nations. And so he... Um, So that brings us up to to, to verse 6, and here's verse 6, and we're going to spend most of our time on verse 6, and you'll see why in a minute. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. So now this is God speaking to Israel. If I am a father, where is my honor, son? (laughs) the beginning of Malachi, how have you loved us? Verse six. Now, you listen to me. A son honor, uh, honors his father, a, a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? Fear says the Lord of hosts. O priest who despise my name, and uh, you say, "How have we despised your name?" Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Verse seven through fourteen is his explanation. Um, so what I want to do, what I want to do is there's something so, I think, amazing in verse 6 that I, that I just want you to see this. Look what he does in verse 6. There are how many names that are associated with God in verse 6? Three. You can call them titles, names, whatever. Uh, the, the first is father. All throughout the scriptures, God, God uh, speaks to Israel as a father. The second is master, and actually that, that word master, the, the English word master, the, the Hebrew word is Adonai. That's a name for, for God. He is the all-sovereign one, the, the Lord. And then the third name that's used here is, is Yahweh. But not just Yahweh, Yahweh of hosts. You know, every time I, most of you already know this, uh, but every time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's, uh, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. It's God's covenantal name. He, he uses, so he's, he uh, identifies himself as their father. He identifies himself, himself as Adonai, master. And he identifies himself as the covenant-keeping God who is Yahweh but not just Yahweh, Yahweh of hosts. And so I just want to focus on these three names. And then what I'll do is, with each of these names, we'll just, we'll just dive into the rest of these verses um, and connect them. And I, and I think by the end of this, <laughs> it seems like this is a theme, by the end of the sermon, I'll bring it all together and in a way that I think will be helpful for you. And so God is Yahweh of hosts. you know how many times Yahweh of hosts is used in verses 6 through 14? Seven. Seven. What should that tell you? It's important. <laughs> you know how many times Yahweh of hosts is used throughout Malachi? 25 times. What does that tell you? It's important. Why is it important? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Um, it, it literally means Yahweh of armies. The, the point that's being made is he is the all-powerful God. He is almighty God. This God spoke the galaxies into existence. This God is unlike any other God that other people worship. In, in, uh, in Isaiah 44, and the words will be on the screen, um, let's read this together. This is a good, fun one to read. Ready? This is what the Lord says. He who is your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, and the Maker of all things, Stretching out the heavens by myself, and spreading out the earth alone. Causing the omens of diviners to fail, making fools of fortune tellers. Causing wise men to turn back, and making their knowledge ridiculous. Confirming the word of his servant, and carrying out the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built." and I will raise her ruins again. This is Yahweh of armies. This is Yahweh of hosts. This is, this is the all-powerful God. Uh, uh, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, says this. It says that the earth is whose? The Lord's, right? Yahweh's. <laughs> and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. Uh, and so this is who Yahweh is. Yeah, he, he's, he's the covenant-keeping God. He's the God who's faithful even when we're faithless. And you should know by now, as we've been the third week into our series in Malachi, Israel has demonstrated a lot of faithlessness. And God in his faithfulness has pursued her as a nation, has pursued them as a people. And, and so then he just kind of unpacks like if that's who I am, if and I'm just going in reverse order. We're starting with Yahweh, right? Uh, if that's who I am then what are you doing, priests? Like you say that you know me, but verse 13, you say, what a weariness this is. Like This is redundant. It's pointless. Speaking of the worship, like this is pointless. And you snort at it. Says the Lord of Hosts, you you bring what has been taken by violence. I mean, you stole some of these animals. You you flat out just stole. You just took. They didn't belong to you. Um, you did that, uh, or you offer what is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. And the answer that they should have is like, well, okay, now that you put it that way, maybe not. <laughs> uh, Seth and I are reading through just books of the Bible. He, he gets to pick whatever book he wants to read. If you don't know who Seth is, he's my youngest son. I say he's my youngest son, but he's actually my youngest son. <laughs> he grew like 20 inches, I think, like in six months. I don't know. He's tall. Uh, he's the second tallest in the house now. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of—it was funny watching Seth. Say, okay, he calls his older brother Abba. It's a—it's a—a um, respectful term for older brother. He said, "Hey Abba, let's let's see who's taller." <laughs> Should have seen Seth's face light up when he realized he's taller than his older brother now. Um, and my wife is the shortest human in the house. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. But but um. <clears throat> We're reading, through, we're reading through books of the Bible, and we're reading First we're Samuel right now. And if you read first, the first three chapters of First Samuel, you'll encounter a guy by the name of Eli, who was a priest. And uh, he had two sons, and uh, what was described of them at the very beginning is Eli the priest who's been serving as a priest and a judge for a long time, and his two sons who were worthless. That's exactly what it says, they were worthless. They would hang out at the, temp- like, uh, the tabernacle where, where they would worship. And Eli, I guess, appointed his sons as priests. And they would sleep with the women out front of the, the, um, the place of worship. They would uh, take the, the offering, because the priests would live off of a portion of what was offered. So they didn't have an inheritance in the land. Their inheritance was whatever the people brought in worship and they would just take a portion of that To feed themselves just so they could survive You know how, you know what Eli's described us. He's described as a Severely obese He's a priest. He shouldn't be severely obese. What was he doing? He was stuffing his face with the offering of the people and His sons they're sleeping around So in the story uh, the, in the beginning of this, the, those three chapters, w- actually into chapter four, um, one of the things that had to be true of the priests is they had to be able to see well uh, to be able to function as a priest. We're told that Eli couldn't see, he was virtually blind. He was still serving as a priest. He was sitting down because he probably had a really difficult time standing. He was in his 90s. Now, give him some credit, you know. <laughs> um, but he shouldn't have been serving as a priest. He found out that his two sons died. God had told him, your sons are going to die, and, and, and your, your house, meaning your, your, your lineage, it's gonna to come to an end, Eli, because you, you have not honored the Lord. And his two sons died, and we're told in, the, in chapter four, Eli, when he heard the news that his two sons died, and then he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines, he fell back, landed on his neck, and died. That's Eli. You know, God takes his worship very seriously, and he judged Eli and his sons, and it's just an interesting story. And now you have these priests in Malachi, and they're like, eh, they didn't learn anything. And they're like, what a weariness this is. Hey, well, why are we doing this? Oh, we'll just go through the motions. And so that's, you know, Yahweh of, of, of hosts. And then God is Adonai. He is Master. That's the second name. And I'll spend most of our time on God as our Father, but he is Adonai. And in Isaiah 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am first and I am last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, we're going to come back to that verse in, during the Christmas season. I'm actually going to do a whole Advent series uh, titled, I think it's going to be titled, The King. Um, but that's a really cool, powerful verse. If you want to just geek out a little bit when you go home, read Isaiah 44, verse 6, uh, which is on the screen here, and then read Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Pretty cool, um, but we don't have time to go there. So, uh, so this is who Yahweh is. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of Israel. He, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, for the Lord our, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is, who is not partial and takes what? No bribe. He doesn't take a bribe. Um, literally, he is... <laughs> Yahweh is Elohim of Elohim's and Adonai of Adonai's. He's the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Um, pretty pretty awesome passage. It kind of sounds like Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes back, he is the what? The king of kings and lord of lords. Has nothing to do with my sermon right now, but I gotta stay on track. Okay, so... Um, so here's the point. Here's the point. What does Adonai need? Does he need your worship? Like, like if God is who God claims to be, by definition, God needs to be a, a, a one who has no needs. He has no needs. Like, you don't make his day better by showing up on Sunday. Uh, and, and the the point that Malachi is making here, and the reason why these three names are used of God in the very first, in, very, in verse six, is that is that He doesn't need your worship, priests. So so, and here you are. You you feel like, well, we got to do something. So we're just going to offer the lame because we want to keep the best stuff for ourselves. He, he doesn't need your worship. In fact, Psalm 50 says, I have no need, this is what God says, I have no need of a bull, that's the most expensive offering, from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is whose? It's mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Listen, <laughs> this is where it gets real, right? Uh, everything you have belongs to God. If you don't believe that, just wait until you get really sick. Like, <laughs> like there's, a, there's a, uh, uh, something that they say that there's no atheists in what? foxholes, right? Um, when you, when you uh, discover that you might die, um, God becomes an option really, really quick, right? Why? Because when you realize that you have no control over your life or very little control over your life, um, you realize that there is one who has control over your life. And so he owns the cattle on a thousand hills he owns the bulls, and the, you know, he owns all the animals, priests. So what are you doing? He, he goes on to say in verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And then, I love this line, present that to your governor. Will, will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Like, like what would we do? Let's just imagine, hypothetically speaking, that the person in office is the one that you really want to be president over the United States, or in the United States, okay? Because I know, we're in Wyoming, so um, so whatever the president that you envision that should be president, uh, and, uh, for, over our, uh, as president in our country, imagine if you were invited to the White House, how would you, how would you present yourself? What steps would you take in preparing to meet the President of the United States? Like that's, that's what he's asking the, the priest here. Your governor, who's a Persian pagan, right? you're allowed in the land, but you still have this Persian pagan governor overseeing you. If he asks something of you, are you going to give him like the least? No, of course not. Why? Because you know he has authority over your life. And he has the authority to kill you. He has the authority to, 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 to prosper you. He, he has that kind of authority. So, so if you wouldn't present the lame to your Persian uh, governor, why are you presenting the lame to the God of all creation? Why are you presenting the the lame and the sick and the jacked up sacrifices with, with, with second best if this is who I am? and. And then the closest thing that, um, that I, I think God comes to in the Bible to saying the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites <laughs> is, is in this passage. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Does that make anybody feel uncomfortable? It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, Like what's required of God's people? Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's really what he requires. Now, that's a really uncomfortable part, uncomfortable part of Malachi. But the third name that's used, and it's used at the very beginning, is Father. God is a father. And this is where I think it gets encouraging. Uh, I <laughs> when, I think, uh, when I think of God as Father, what I'm reminded of is that God is God, Right? And if God is God, He is infinitely perfect in every in every way. He can't be deficient. He can't have any needs for him to be God. And for him to be father, he is the model father. Uh, it, it's God's description of himself as a father. Listen, now this is where this is like super important. This is where we get to the really important stuff. It's God's description as a father that sets him apart from every god that people worship in our world. Did you know that? Now, other gods might, you know, that people worship, they might worship him thinking that he's a father, but, but God describes himself as a father, and as a father, it sets him apart from every other, every other idol or god that people worship. His identity as a father is infinitely linked to an attribute, a character trait of his. Anybody want to take a stab at what, what that character trait is? Love. Now, now we're going to go a little deep. And I'm going to take my time working through this, um, just so you get it, because I want you to see it. The God of the Bible that we worship... Is, a, is Yahweh, who is, listen, I'm going to make a very strong case for the God of the Bible that we worship and what sets him apart from every other God that's worshiped in our world. The God of the Bible is Yahweh, who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This gets, this gets real, okay? There is one attribute that is true of God that, that has to be something that, like all the other attributes, has to be an attribute that he can demonstrate and, and, and do if it's a part of his identity. Would you agree with me? Like, so God is all-knowing, right? He's all-knowing. God is... God is sovereign, meaning he has to be in control. I've said in one sermon series a while back um, that that for God, who is Adonai, to exist in the universe, karma and luck cannot coexist with with that God if God is sovereign, okay? So I said that a while back. Um, God is a God of um, just, he's a just God, right? Uh, He's a God of mercy. Like, all those things, you know, are true of who God is. If God was not... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then he would not be able to demonstrate love unless he created something to demonstrate love towards. You tracking with me now? Like, just bear with me. Every God that is worshipped has creatures or devotees um, who worship that God because that God needs something. He needs your worship. He needs your attention. He needs your sacrifices. He needs, he needs, he needs. There's one God, or the true God, needs nothing because he's Adonai, he's Yahweh. And he is a God of love. And the demonstration of his love has been something that he has been uh, enjoying within the fellowship of the Trinity for all of eternity. God, The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Three persons, one God. Now, I'm not saying you have to like, like wrap your mind around the Trinity completely and say, nailed it, you know, I got it. Um, I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. Here, here are some passages in the Bible. Just so you know, that God is a God of love is something that's stated in the Old Testament and it's something that's stated in the New Testament. It's throughout the Scriptures, and I'll have it on the screen here. So let's go to this verse. So I'll start with 1 John Chapter 4, verse 16. Let's read it together. Ready? So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. It's the, it's the equivalent. It's the Old Testament equivalent to what is said in First John. Ready? Let's read it together. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations? Here's what I want to say, and there'll be plenty more time for me to to unpack the Trinity and all those kind of things, but here's what I want to say God is a father, God God is a father before he is creator. Think about it. He, and, and he created, he created not out of a need, not out of necessity, not because he was lonely. He created out of the overflow of his love that was already something that he was experiencing with the, within the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're you tracking with me? Raise your hand if you're like, okay, I, I, I get it, or I'm like, I'm completely lost now. Okay, so like half of you. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, but I just want you to think about that, and, and here's why. Uh, i got to skip that. Because God, out of his love, did not call Israel to be his people because he wanted, because he had the need to love somebody. He called out Israel to be his people because God is a God of love. There's a difference there. He didn't have some need, and therefore he created. He created because he's a God of love. It's very different than like the God of Islam, or the God of the Mormons, or the God of the Jehovah Witnesses, or any, any religion that denies the Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so, so this is why Jesus prays a prayer. And now, now I'm bringing it all together. This is where Jesus prays a prayer in John 17, and the words will be on the screen. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, he's praying for us, by the way, may be with me wherever I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before what? The foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that, he's talking about us again, these uh, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known to them, or make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Like The, the reason why you're here today, the reason why you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is not because God had a need, it's because God is a God of love. The, the reason why Jesus was born of a virgin was not because God needed a son to love. That son existed for all of eternity before time even existed. Um, God sent forth His son because God is a God of love. Uh, before God, before God was, uh, before God created, He was a father. That's why I mean by that's what I mean by God was a father before He was creator. Um, and and so. So, this is what's presented to, to the priest. He's a father. And so in verse 9, he says, And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will, will he show favor to, to you, uh, to any of you? And here's Israel's response Okay, okay, Malachi, we'll talk to God for us, you know, butter him up a little bit so that he'll receive our worship. And here's the reality. If God, is God, if God has no need, you can't butter him up. Like, Again, if his love is perfect, you can't butter him up. You can't make him love you more. He loves you as, as, uh, perfectly. He set his love upon Israel, and he set... Listen, Christian, he sets his love upon you, not because he needed you to love him back, but because he's a God of love. This is so, so important. Um, <laughs> we, we, John 3, 16... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. And then um, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All of that is because God is a God of love. And the priest's response to this God is, "What a weariness this is!" But if they really understood who God was and who He is, it shouldn't be a weariness to worship Him. Uh, I want to read something for you. I was going to say this and put this in my own words, but I thought, you know what? I'm just going to butcher it. And uh, this guy said it way better than I ever could, and so I want to share it with you. The words are not going to be on the screen. It will be. It's in my manuscript. You can you can read it later. But I'm just going to you'll know why i'm I'm reading this for you and sharing it with you it's uh written by a guy by the name of matthew Uh, It uh from a commentary i read uh this week and i just thought man this is so good listen here it goes and we're bringing it all together now how can this be though how can god accept cold heartfelt easily distracted and rebellious worshipers like me right? Because my guess is, if you're like me, reading a passage like this, you're probably feeling the, 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 the weight of that. Like, okay, yeah, I'm guilty of some of the same stuff. Like, I'm guilty of careless worship. I'm guilty of, of uh, there have been seasons in my, in my life where I've thought, this is, I may not have said it with my lips, but I certainly acted like it with my, with my actions. This is a weariness, you know, the worshiping God. And so he says, how can this be though? How can God accept cold heart half-hearted, easily distracted, and rebellious worshipers like me, whose first thought in times of trouble is to question the reality of God's love, and whose second thought is usually to defend our own inadequate worship as perfectly fine. He did this by sending a true worshiper in our place, a genuinely submissive son who gave his all as an act of wholehearted worship and and love for his glorious father a suffering servant who Obediently offered up his life for us for us and for our salvation Supremely of course Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice He wasn't blemished He kept the law perfectly. He was the perfect sacrifice laying down his life patiently For the joy that was set before him, the joy of ultimately being surrounded by a multitude of brothers and sisters from all nations in the worship of the Father, on the cross, the Father turned his face away from the Son, as the Son were one of the inadequate, half-hearted worshipers of Malachi's day, as if the Son were us. For the first time in all eternity, the Father slammed the door of His presence in the face of His own beloved child, as if it were Jesus who had dishonored Him and served Him insincerely. Yet the Son still submissively committed His spirit to the Father in death, trusting that the Father would bless and use that perfect gift to accomplish His perfect goals. It gets better. This is what enables us now to approach God joyfully. Sunday by Sunday, and gives us hope as weak worshipers. When we come to church, we don't ascend the mountain to a building in Jerusalem, but rather come to the true heavenly Mount Zion, into the powerful presence of the living God, who is a consuming fire. Yet we may come into his glorious presence unafraid, for that Father sees when He looks at us not the failures of our worship that flow from our angry and rebellious hearts, but the Son's perfect worship in our place that flowed from His submissive re- reverence. Christ's perfect worship makes our weak and failing worship acceptable in the Father's sight so that, we wel- so that He welcomes us joyfully in His glorious presence. Amen? Amen. Aye, that's good. Um. There's hope. <laughs> and, and just in the, in sandwiched in these verses, and the worship team's going to come up. Um, you guys can come up now. Sandwiched in these verses is verse 11. Well, I mean, look at it. I won't have the words on the screen. Just, just look at it in your Bible. For, <laughs> for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What is he saying there? He said, priest, your worship's jacked up. you are be offering the lame and you know, your heart's not even into it. But my redemptive purposes is not conditioned on your obedience. And it's not conditioned on how much you love me. I am a father who is a God of love and what I promised Abraham, I'm doing. Through your nation, all the nations will be blessed. There's a Messiah who's coming, and it's going to be my son. He will be fully man and fully God, and he will live the perfect life that you could never live. And he will, he will be scorned, and he will be ridiculed, and he will be verbally abused, and then he will be handed over to the governor of, of Rome. Or of the governor over over Israel, and uh, he will hand this perfect obedient son, who I love, over to be crucified in your place. He will die in your place. His beard will be pulled out of his face. He will be scourged. He will be he will beaten with rods. He will have a crown of thorns, you know, thrust on top of his skull. He, he will be nailed to a cross where the nails will pierce his median nerves, where it will literally feel like his body is on fire. He will hang there for hours where he will scream in agony and pain. And in the midst of his screaming, he will cry out, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he will also cry out, Forgive them, for they knew not what they were doing. And then into... Into your, into your presence, and I commit my spirit, basically, is what he'll say from the cross. He'll do all of that because, because I am a God of love. And so so Malachi chapter one verse 11 will be a reality. It doesn't matter who's president of the United States, it doesn't matter if next year we find ourselves in World War III. It doesn't matter if, if America is blown off the map. Um, God is going to accomplish his purposes. And he's going to do it in a way that only God can do it, right? And here's the marvel over all this. We, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, get to participate in that. We are the redeemed. And all that Jesus did in our place, he did in our place. And when the Father looks upon you, when he looks upon me, what he sees is the perfect righteousness of his Son. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's why it is appropriate for us, before we sing this song, to read this. Let's stand and let's read this this verse before we, we break out into song here. Ready? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.